Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to Football Digest Daily with me, Ned Keating. Uh, I'm joined this morning by Simon Bird from Daily Mirror and Aaron Stokes, uh, Assistant Online Editor for the Daily Star, to reflect on, on what has been really a, a kind of, you can't really say tumultuous, but really exciting period for Newcastle. Obviously, we spoke about this last week and, and the takeover has gone through. I don't think any excitement has, has gone by the wayside, lads, uh, since then. Um, there's been all this talk about players, about managers, about what these plans for this, uh, the, these new owners, these you know, fantastically rich new owners have for Newcastle um, United. And, and Simon, I guess we'll probably will start with the manager. Um, there's a lot of, of speculation, a lot of talk and, and a massive expectation that Steve Bruce is probably hours, uh, if not minutes away from, from no longer being Newcastle manager at the time of recording. Um, it looks like he is going to be replaced and, and there might be a, a temporary manager in the dugout at least for the weekend against Tottenham. But, but long term, where do you think Newcastle are looking in terms of of a new manager? Who who is the kind of figurehead that they're looking at to to kind of kickstart this new revolution? Yeah, well, I think Bruce maybe in the next forty eight hours will go. Uh, the, the consortium met him yesterday for about an hour, and they picked his brains about the club and what was needed, playing wise, um, training ground wise, etc. So that was a dignified thing to do, uh, and obviously they're they're attentions behind the scenes are focused on who who to replace him with. Um, the fans don't want Steve Bruce and he, he won't be there much longer. Um, so what you're looking for, if you're going to build a club as promised by this consortium who have ambitious plans, have mentioned winning the Premier League and within five to ten years, delivering a trophy, Champions League, they, nothing's been off limits in terms of their ambition. What they need to appoint is a, a proper club builder because your starting base here is 19th place and no wins after seven games in the Premier League. Um, a squad which has stagnated over the last few years. There'll be uh, So there's, money to, there's going to be money to spend. It's going to be a gradual process. And what they need to do is find a manager who can who can get a grip of that, be in charge of absolutely everything at the club and sign the right players, but not necessarily the stellar players immediately. You need you need stepping stone players, you need to build a squad, and then you I think then, you know, when they're up there challenging, like for instance, Leicester are now on the fringes of it, then you can start really splashing the money on on the big players. So if I'm looking at the looking at the candidates now, the one manager who personally I would I'll be looking at is Brendan Rogers experience at the top level he's built a club um, a couple of times uh, and especially Leicester now he's taken Leicester probably on a budget which uh, is, is is high but it's 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 not what he's going to be, be less than what he'll have at Newcastle taking them right into Europe um, delivered trophy you know Brendan Rodgers would be top of my list however there are there are obviously other candidates he'd be very expensive to to get out of Leicester um, you know 7 million 50 million various figures have been suggested so it'd be hard to get him out of Leicester but if he wants a fresh challenge then he that's who I'd go for Lucien Favre is up there in the betting Antonio Conte we're told would want a, uh, 
to take over a club higher up the league and isn't he's probably not a club builder. You know, these Italian guys come in for a couple of years, then they're out again. Martinez, Belgium, might be a possibility. And then there's the, the, the Steve Gerrard, Frank Lampard um, kind of debate. Are they experienced enough? They'd certainly be fresh and young and hungry and bring a lot of experience from their playing days. Uh, so th- those kind of guys are in there. Eddie Howe's available as well. So he's been... He, he, he might, but he took Bournemouth down last time. So, you know, there are there are pros and cons with every candidate. If you're looking at it, I would, personally, I would, I would, I would go for Brendan Rodgers. Aaron, from a fan's point of view, for a Newcastle fan's point of view, um, yeah, kind of Simon's presented the, the the logical explanation as to why certain managers might not want to take it, and and the kind of logical reasoning behind who Newcastle can really go after. But a fan's point of view, you're probably expecting almost or hoping, sorry, not expecting uh, for someone like Conte to come in. But you kind of look at, at you know the position that the club are in, and let's talk as well about Graham Jones obviously being in, in temporary charge for the weekend. He'll get the first hit at it. Um, who would you like to see in charge then, really, from a fan's point of view? It's difficult because, you know, we saw fans celebrating outside the stadium last week and, you know, they were being interviewed and you had the odd couple saying, well, you know, it needs to be Conte brought in or Zidane or, you know, and then Mbappe needs to follow. But I think the majority of fans, when they were being interviewed, actually were, were quite sensible with their, with their you know, picks. For me, I mean, as, as Simon said, I mean, Brendan Rodgers would be a fantastic fantastic appointment you know as Simon said you know we we need a manager that's going to build the club and can take it long term and Rogers fits that bill but you know you've got to remember Newcastle United are 19th in the Premier League you know managers that are currently in you know solid stable jobs probably aren't going to want to take the risk you know I know I've seen Steven Gerrard being linked this week he's already sort of said that he's happy at Rangers would Rogers leave a club in the top four for you know a club and fighting relegation because you know, first and foremost, this manager's got to come in and for the first six, seven months of the job has to, one, get the club out of the relegation zone and two, work with the same base of players that, you know, Steve Brewster has had to work with the last few years. So I think, you know, Newcastle fans have to temper their expectations. They have to be reasonable. Somebody may be like, I think Lucien Favre, you know, he's out of work. He'd be cheap to get in. You know, he's had experience at Nice and Dortmund. You know, he's very close to taking over Crystal Palace. So, Highly rated. Someone like that would fit the bill. Graham Potter, you'd think, if if he wasn't at Brighton, would probably be a shout. And I was saying last week on a podcast that it just seems so unfortunate that this job's probably came six months too late for Rafa Benitez because the hope was always when Stavely first wanted to buy the club, she wanted Benitez at the helm. And you just think if he just held off six more months and Everton hadn't came in, then I think he would be a shoo-in or he would already sort of be in the club already. I think it, it would have been an absolute done deal. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Everton there, Aaron, because the uh, running order for this podcast, um, <laughs> which you can almost, by reading it, you can tell what's put together by a fan of another club in the uh, North East. He may not be in the Premier League, may not even be in the Championship. Um was saying about drawing comparisons between how when Farhad Mashiri went into Everton and there was this whole idea that, that they're kind of, be the big spenders, challenge the top four. Um, it's been a number of years now and, and that hasn't really materialised. And there is this kind of, this trap that Newcastle must have to avoid falling into as well then, Simon, isn't it? Now that, you know, there's no point finding good money after bad, isn't it? You know, we saw that it took Man City a couple of years to get there. 
but that's probably because they started to put in place these, these structures that they had in directors of football. And I know that's something you spoke about last week as well, one of the videos that you've done for us, um, speaking about that, that Newcastle you know, probably need to have a director of football put in place now with, with all this money to make sure that it, that it is spent so well. And and that's the issue as well, aside from the manager, aside from the playing staff, that you know, boardroom level up and, and everything else, that there needs to be a, a restructuring uh, of, of the club structure to, to ensure that there is long-term success. I think the, the key point is that it's going to take a load of time. I think was it three years for a trophy for Man City and four years for the title, and that was and they spent a billion on it. Now there are key questions which we still have unanswered from the from the consortium amidst the, all the celebrations of last week. And you know, yes, the PIF um, who bought them is an incredibly wealthy um, sovereign fund worth you know, five hundred billion dollars, but we don't know we don't know what they're ready to commit or what deals that they're going to do with. Saudi Saudi businesses to put sponsorship money into Newcastle, like the oil company or the airline or whatever, like Man City did. We don't know how much they're actually going to, as a country, pump in to Newcastle. Now, two, a year and a half ago, when it was meant to be going through and Rafa was going to take over or Pochettino, we were told 50 million extra a year for five years on top of Newcastle's budget and whatever they can generate, which is a great, which is a you know, great starting spot, point to spend. But you're right, and, and Everton is a good is a good comparison. They have spent a load of money and got got some signings very wrong. Uh, and only now, since when Rafa's come in and organ, reorganised it, uh, which I always expected him to do, despite Everton fans not liking him at start, uh, only now they're kind of paying, you know, it's paying off. And they're up there and they're, they're kind of contenders again. Not, not with the top four, probably. So it's going to take a load of time. And... Newcastle fans' celebration and, and the dreaming last week of, you know, we asked Amanda Stavely about Mbappe and she said, we're going to sign, we're going to be in the market for world-class players. That's great. But, you know, it, they've got a squad now which is second bottom um, and they, they need they need, they need a revamp and it's going to take a long time. to. to it's, it's hard to offload players. It's hard to sell players. They couldn't do it in the summer. So, you know, it, the turnaround takes a while and it was great, the celebrations and the, all the fans at St. James's Park last week, but... Now it's time to really knuckle down and start proving themselves this consortium with with some solid appointments and solid decision making right at the start. Aaron, uh, Simon mentioned there about signing these world class players, and of course, one thing that will will help Newcastle sign these world class players is playing in the top competitions in Europe. Obviously, you know, Champions League is going to be the end game at some point, but equally as well, when these players turn up and, and have a look around the training ground. Have a look around the stadium. You know, you, you speak to fans and and those involved with the club, and they've always said about how kind of it, it's always seemed unloved under Ashley. That these, you know, I think one of the supporters trust members was saying last week about how there's holes in the walls at St James's Park where TVs used to be. You know, you look around the training ground and could do with a lick of paint and a few other things as well. So it's not just the squad that we're talking about needs change here. It's not just you know the management the hierarchy above him as well. But but crucially, it's the infrastructure around the club to, to really try and take them to that next level that needs uh, sorting out as well. 100%. I remember Rafa Benitez saying that, um, you know, he'd asked Mike Ashley for, you know, a, a new training ground or a training ground update and, and Ashley thought about a lick of paint had done the job. So it just goes to show that every single, you know, aspect of Lucas United has been neglected over the last sort of 14 years. As you say, the stadium's decaying. It's, you know, in need of a very good clean. The training ground's outdated. It's old. It hasn't had, you know, a real revamp in a couple of years. The academy, you know, the players that are coming through, we can probably count on one hand the amount of, you know, big superstars that have came from the academy in the last couple of years and stayed in the team. 
and then you know there's the dialogue with the supporters because before Mike actually took over the you know the supporters trust and the fan groups have you know very open dialogue and you know a big part of playing the club and that obviously has been eroded in the last 10 years because Mike Ashley, you know, very rarely came out and gave interviews. He very, rarely, very rarely spoke to supporters. So I thought it was quite nice last week that we saw, you know, the new owners came in and one of their first jobs was to sit, you know, the stadium staff down and the club staff down and just little things like that. It just, the fact that I sort of looked at that and thought, how amazing is that? It just shows how, you know, sort of the polar opposite was under Ashley. So... Obviously, you know that it's silly season now in terms of who comes in, manager and player-wise, and you know we've got to get used to that. But I think a lot of the fans that you speak to will just say, you know, we just want to be a properly run football club. You know, we want things done right, um, and that was something that Mike actually just, you know, he never really saw the the need to do that because it was spending money that he felt he didn't really need to spend. So you've got to get the basics right first. You've got to get the stadium, the training ground, the academy you know, all sorted. And then you can obviously worry about, you know, climbing up the table and winning titles and stuff. But from what we've seen so far of the new owners, they look like, you know, they have got a plan for that in mind and they look like they're going to really, you know, give it a good go to just transform this football club in every single way they can. Simon, uh, you know, the, the new owners have made all these great noises and spoken about winning the Premier League. And as Aaron said there, you know, kind of have, have almost had a, a really nice uh, human touch with with the staff as well by sitting there and talking to them and, and kind of all making them feel a real part of this new era for the club. But we, we can't talk about Newcastle and their new owners without obviously talking about the, the moral debates that surround it as well. And, and you know, you only have to look on, on Twitter and social media as well to kind of see that, you know, as soon as you see kind of say someone almost like, you know, a Newcastle fan being quite positive or someone talking quite positive, positively about the takeover that, you know, immediately the comments are underneath are, are asking about kind of, you know, the, the whole human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia and, and everything else. Um how how will the club, because I'm sure as well in press conferences and, and in some press conferences there will be journalists that will be asking those kind of questions at, at the new manager and, and maybe at um, you know, directors of football if they come out, the players as well. Um, how does the club and, and also the fan base kind of you know deal with these questions that are going to come their way in the coming months and years? Well, I, th- I think Newcastle fans are fairly united in saying that Human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia are abhorrent. They're wrong. Um, it's it's illegal to be gay in Saudi Arabia. Totally wrong. Um, women get uh, and protesters against the government have been locked up, and that's all wrong. Newcastle fans can say all that, but also be quite relieved that their club um, is is has been rid of Mike Ashley, and they now have a, a future. So, you know. The club are Amanda. We asked all these questions in of Amanda Stavely, uh, two or three of us last week on the day it happened, and she was quite open to to answering them. So, does it mean that Saudi Arabia are, are a lot of these things are pointed at Saudi Arabia? The um, the you know the, the crimes or whatever the, the, the bad regime. Does that mean that's going to happen to Newcastle United? Of course not. Amanda Stavely has, has come in and promised a very inclusive regime. She's going to promote the women's football team and support that. She's going to support the foundation. She mentioned her off her own back the Rainbow Laces campaign. So she she is going to ru- hopefully run a, a very inclusive club that will not look like anything anything like the Saudi Arabian regime. However, 
the fact, uh, it also is not Newcastle fans' fault that Saudi Arabian money has been allowed to buy this club, their, their club. They have no power over that. They have no say over it. It's, it's the Premier League had a say, and they've decreed that the the Saudi Arabian state is, is separate from the PIF. Um, well, I mean, you could say that's absolute nonsense because, you know, the, the, the PIF is run by, is chaired by Mohammed bin Salman. He chairs everything. That's what they say. And um, that's their excuse. Um there's six members of the of the government on the board of the PIF, so to say say it's massively separate is is you know is not true. But it, you, you can say maybe it's an autonomously run. They're looking for investments which are good and put put Saudi Arabia on the map. Now, everyone uses the term Newcastle has been used to sports wash Saudi Arabia's reputation. Now that may well be in the future if we forget about what's going on in Saudi Arabia and the forty executions that are said to happen every year. Which is terrible in the, in the square. Um, however, if you if you also look at it another way, um, what this takeover has done is shine a massive, great big light amongst football fans on on the regime in Saudi Arabia and what actually goes on there. And football fans and Newcastle fans, particularly, have educated themselves on on what's gone wrong, uh, what goes wrong in, in Saudi, and what needs to change. Uh, and they have opinions on it, and they and they want they would probably want change if they could influence it there. So. I'm not sure that sports washing is the right term because they've actually got a, an absolute load of bad publicity for the country by buying the club. Whether the good publicity will follow with Newcastle winning things and then basking in the glory of that and the Crown Prince coming to St James's Park one day and watching a game and being hailed and I'll be a bit uncomfortable by, about that is another thing. So, yeah, there are huge... Newcastle fans have educated themselves on these issues. And if we want to address the Saudi regime at a national level, well, we can stop selling them arms. We sell, we sell billions of pounds worth of arms every year. Um, the, the Queen and we literally, as a country, at the top level, ro- rolled out the red carpet for Mohammed bin Salman to visit, um, including the Queen and the government. And we do, they're a key strategic ally in the Gulf. So there are all those things thrown at the mix. And it all seems to kind of get dumped on why Newcastle fans happy their club being t- has been taken over by, by the Saudis when, as a country, if we don't like them, we can, we can, we have so many avenues to to change them. We're we're away from um, Newcastle fans being happy about a takeover, but that's that's not that's not to support you know and back up what what goes on there and the bad things that go on. It's it's a tricky situation for fans. You know, Newcastle supporters have been put in a situation that they would have never imagined that they would have been put in. And obviously, when you see you know fans outside the stadium last week supporting the takeover. I think from the outside looking in, it can look like Newcastle fans really don't care about the, you know, the regime in Saudi. And that's not the case, you know. I've spoken to supporters in the last week who are really conflicted by the takeover. Obviously they're happy that Newcastle are going to be a force again on the pitch, but they're questioning now, you know, can they in good faith go and support the team? You know, maybe if they're a, you know, a member of the LGBT community and stuff like that. So it's difficult, you know, as as Simon said, you, you know, he made good points that Newcastle fans don't have any say in who runs the club. They didn't have any say in the takeover. But what they do have a say in is how they now react to it. And I think, you know, actively, you know, putting Saudi Arabia flags in their in their Twitter handles and, you know, you know, taking them to the ground and stuff, they can they can choose how they react to that. They can't just sweep us under the carpet and say, you know, it's happening a million miles away. It's not happening here. You know, these people are now uh, representing Newcastle United Football Club. You know, they are now our owners and we have to, I think it's a journalist's responsibility to 
you know, tell the fans what's going on. And I think it's a farm responsibility to make sure that they aren't turning a blind eye to it. But as I've said, you know, and as you touched on, 99% of fans, you know, have, you know, concerns about what's going on in the club, but they just want to see a football team doing well. The supporters that have supported the club for 40 years, it's their whole life, you know, it's based around. And to ask them to stop supporting the club overnight because of, you know, a regime that they don't support, it's just, it's never going to happen. So it's a difficult situation. I think it's probably in the future going to be a bit of a PR nightmare for the Premier League, you know, we've touched on, you know, the Rainbow Laces campaign and stuff like that. You know, are, are the Premier League going to sort of get called hypocrites and Arnie Castle going to get called hypocrites? But I think Amanda Staveley's came in, she's said all the right things. And I think the fan response as well has shown that, you know, Newcastle fans aren't just going to, you know, wash their hands of it and say it's nothing to do with us. I think there is genuine concerns there. It's very interesting how the, the optics of this have played out over the last few days in that, all along, I think the, the the consortium, because of the controversy with Saudi involvement, have wanted this to be the, the Amanda Staveley takeover, and she's been very much front and on the on the video doing the walkabouts and you know answering the questions. And that we've not we've not we've had one short statement from the chairman of the PIF, and this is very much Amanda Staveley doing the PR job and saying this is my takeover, this is what we're going to do. She's done the deal. That's that's brilliant. Well done. Uh, she's she's set a direction which. Everyone agrees with it. She gets it. Um, but, you know, when, when did the Saudis step in and say, right, okay, you've done the initial stuff. This is, that, this is now our club. And then that puts a different kind of different look on it. She, as a woman, brilliant doing that business deal, you know, it ticks all the right boxes and it looks good. But there is reservations about where the money's coming from. But this is being portrayed as it's, I think it's deliberately being portrayed as the, you know, she's got a 10% stake. And so one of the, one of the, Skeptical colleagues um, tweeted yesterday. Never, never before has a ten percent stakeholder taken such a high-profile role in actually presenting a, presenting a, a takeover of a club. So it's interesting that we'll see how much the Saudis throw their weight around um, over the coming years. We get to see the the start of the new dawn proper this weekend uh, when. Newcastle hosts my beloved Tottenham. Um, I, I know how this one's going to go already, unfortunately. But we look at where Newcastle are in the Premier League table, uh, Aaron, at the minute. And they're not, you know, even before this takeover, they're not where they'd want to be. You know, 19th in the minute, as Simon said earlier, uh, no wins in seven this season, you know, struggling for form. It would be a, a complete disaster, wouldn't it? Now, I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to suggest it's going to happen in the slightest. I don't think it is going to happen in the slightest. But but let's say we get to to, to May and, and the worst does happen and, and Newcastle find themselves still in that bottom three and, and relegated, that, that this is a complete disaster then for, for these new owners. It would be, yeah. Obviously, we've got to remember that Newcastle are, are 19th at the minute. You know, talk of Conte and Zidane and all that is, obviously, it's, it's a bit ludicrous at the minute when you look at the league table. You know, should the club go down, you know, I don't think they will touch wood, but I think if they did, then it would be a, you know, a, a quick, you know, straight jump back up, you know, with the funds. Obviously, they wouldn't be able to spend as much in the championship. But, you know, to, to Mike Ashley's credit, one thing he did do is that when Newcastle went down in the last 14 years, he put the money in. And, you know, when you do spend a little bit in the championship, we do bounce straight back up. So I don't think Newcastle will go down, but there is obviously the danger that, it comes to January and they're still, you know, sort of languishing in, you know, 18th or 19th. And that in turn means our big players going to want to come. You know, I've heard pundits already this week saying that, you know, Newcastle can spend 200 million in January and won't touch, you know, their, the F FFP or be anywhere near that. But 
that's all well and good saying that, but if Newcastle are 18th and facing relegation in January, you know, they are going to have to be signing players that are probably, you know, less than what fans want at the minute. So it's a difficult situation. Bruce going, which, you know, we think will happen this week, will probably be a benefit because a new manager coming in with, you know, a galvanised fan base, you know, the players on the pitch will probably react to that. St James's Park is going to be a sellout every week as it is on Sunday. So it's such a, it's such an unusual situation because you've got Newcastle who are now the richest club in the Premier League and, you know, we're still talking about them potentially getting relegated. So it's just an unprecedented situation, really. And it'll be exciting to see how it plays out in the next couple of months. Simon, is it perhaps a touch fortunate that, you know, I know we've mentioned City already on this podcast this morning, and I'm just thinking back to when they were taken over and it was that final day of the transfer window in, in the summer of 2008 and then they went on this massive splurge, didn't they? Even on just that one day, they still managed to get you know, players like Rubinho in. So is it perhaps beneficial to Newcastle that, you know, this takeover didn't happen, say, in the summer? And, you know, as weird as that sounds, but but we're still, you know, two months away from, from the January or almost three months away, really, from, from the January window opening that there's a chance now for... Newcastle to get a new manager in to get possibly you know maybe director of football maybe it might be too soon for that I don't know but at least then this new ownership this new era can kind of understand the problems in the squad and where they might need to be addressed come January and that they're not just you know chucking bad money uh, down the drain after players as Aaron said there you know you'd like that hopefully they're not in a position in January where they're still in the relegation zone and then you're struggling to get players and perhaps the players that are then available aren't necessarily the players that you want long term because they might be at the club for the wrong reasons. Yeah, it, it is a good it's a good point. I think um, you know, there was that arbitration panel hearing was going to happen on January the 3rd, last a week, and then get a verdict after that. And that would have pushed them kind of into the second or third week of January um, if it had gone through then. So it, it is a, it's a bonus for the consortium to actually have, what, two, two and a half months now um, to have a look at the whole situation, make a proper plan and then hit January running. And, and there's, there's going to be so many targets and there'll be, there'll be agents now rubbing their hands together thinking we can get our, we can get our you know, clients to, to Newcastle. There's a lot of like sort of dead wood or unwanted players on massive money, very good players at, at big clubs. So it, it's probably a good time to be in the market uh, with, with, a bit of, with a bit of cash to spend it well. Your cash is going to go further in January than it usually would because there are clubs suffering financially with players on two, 200, 300 grand a week um, who are sitting on the bench. So, they, they, yeah, it gives them great leeway, you know, 10, 12 you know, weeks to, to sort out some kind of plan. And that's a bonus. Gents, just before we finish up this morning, just want to, you know, convert a slight bit of fun, shall we say. Um, Amanda Stavely obviously saying last week that she wants Newcastle to win the Premier League within five to ten years. So we'll, we'll kind of look at that five-year window. Um, Aaron, we'll come to you first. Um, where do you think Newcastle will be in five years? You know, how many trophies made have won? Where, where do you hope? You know, I know obviously there's going to be the fans' optimism perhaps coming into this, you know, maybe if you raise tinted glasses as well. But but where will this Newcastle United side be in, in five years' time? You'd like to think in five years' time that they're at least going to be, you know, challenging for the league. And I mean, it's still it still really hasn't sunk in that we're saying this about Newcastle United. Um but yeah, you'd you'd like to think that in five years' time they'll be up the top end of the table, maybe challenging for a league, at least challenging for Europe every season. But you look at Chelsea and, and Man City and PSG, you know, City and PSG still without a Champions League title and they've been at it for you know, a good 10 years now. So it's not going to be overnight. And I think fans fans know that apart from 
know, the odd minority who are expecting the world overnight. But I think the majority of fans know it's going to be a long process and Amanda Stavely's setting out this five to ten year vision for the club. But yeah, I would like to hope in five years' time, maybe at least end of the cup drought, you know, challenging the top four maybe every season, you know, pushing for league. And just, I think most importantly for fans is they just want a club to be proud of you know, proud of, as you've heard fans say over the last couple of days, they just want a bit of hope. And it looks like this takeover probably is going to give, well, it definitely is going to give them that because it's better than Mike Ashley being in charge. So, yeah, uh, like I say, it still hasn't really sunk in, but yeah, I'd, I'd say for five years, probably challenging for, for the top four. You see, Aaron there proving Newcastle fans are entirely reasonable people and not not expecting too much. So, um, no, no, I, Newcastle will, I don't think Newcastle will win the title in five years' time. Um, I think it's yet to be proven exactly how much money the Saudis are going to pump into this. And I would like to know, but they're not going to, they're probably not going to say because that'll be commercially sensitive. And now in football, money talks. And if you look at the league table, it usually corresponds with the turnover of a club or the wage bill of a club. And Newcastle are absolutely miles behind the elite in that in that. In that, in that context, and on, on those measurements, Newcastle have a turnover of 170 million at the minute. Man U, it's five, 500 million, 550 million. Spurs, Liverpool, all those guys, Man City, four, 450 million. So they've got to triple their turnover to get in the kind of ballpark financially that these other guys, that the elite are genuinely in. And over, over a 38 game season, that kind of thing talks when you've got a massive squad and you've got money and you're paying people 300 grand. 300. Newcastle's highest player at the minute is probably. Probably on 100 grand, maybe just short of that, maybe a bit more. You know, man, you are paying 350 grand a week, not 100 grand a week. You know, so they're three times behind in the in the wage in the wage buckets as well for competing for these players. So there's going to have to be some serious money pumped into that club to get it challenging within five years. In ten years, maybe, maybe they'll be up there. I would love Newcastle in five years to be consistently, reliably up there in the top seven, the top eight, top seven. Dipping into Europe, Europa League first port of call, the fringes of the champion, hope, hope of the Champions League challenge in sort of end of March, where, where the, you know, the business end of the season. That's where they've got to be to kind of prove their players. They, they might not get there in the final destination, but they've got to prove that they're going to be players. Certainly within three, four years, I think it can happen. They can be up there. You see what West Ham have done. You see what Leicester have done. It can't, it can't break it there. Alan Pardew, the only good season under Mike Ashley, finished fifth. And they were they all were so close to the Premier League right at the end of the season in that April. So even by clever transfers like Pardew did and some good good proactive tactics, you can challenge. And then, then the money comes into play. So yeah, up there and being challenges within three, four, five years and... I'll take an EFL Cup anytime <laughs> just to break that trophy drought. Uh, Simon, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, thank you as well for anyone who's been listening along too. Uh, it's certainly going to be a roller coaster period for Newcastle and their fans over the next few years. It's definitely going to be worth the ride, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>